his kids, Jesus always got new clothes for Easter. Normally something brightly colored, normally something pastel, oftentimes I feel like I got yellow. I don't know why, it could, it, you know, it could be other pastel clothes. I remember specifically getting lots of yellow things. Maybe that was just the color my mom always picked for me. There were four of us after all, and each of us tended to have our own color when it came to things. Well, for Easter, I got new clothes, and that was a particularly big deal for me. Because, as I just said, I'm one of four kids. And when you're one of four kids, especially when you're the second kid, that often means, well, the oldest kid's clothes that he can't wear anymore, certainly you can wear. I mean, that makes sense. I get why I got them. But that meant I didn't get new clothes all that often. I always got my brother's handbags. But Easter was a chance for new clothes. And it was exciting because I was got I got this new fancy clothes. I mean, I always, always tended to be more of a jeans and t-shirt guy. You guys probably don't see me like that very often, but in my personal life, you're most often going to find me in a t-shirt. And there was something special though about dressing up on Easter. Of course, it wasn't just my family that did this. It was pretty much everybody in my church. We all dressed up on Easter. Easter was this really big deal Sunday. It always is. It is a big deal Sunday. And so we dressed up in our Sunday best, our Easter best. And I would love to tell you it was completely altruistic and that was why we did it. But you know, sometimes things happen in churches. But the reason that we said we did it is because we were bringing our very best to Jesus. On Easter, we wanted to honor God by wearing our very best clothes. And whatever that happened to be for you, that was your best. And so you were invited to bring that. And there was this, enchant- this exciting opportunity in our Sunday finery to encounter the risen Christ on this extra special Sunday. And it just made it that much more special. Now, what's interesting is now that I've gone to seminary and learned a little bit more about history, I've learned that while this practice in my church meant this one smaller thing, there's actually deeper roots to the practice of new clothes for Easter. You see, in the early days of the church, the practice became that Easter would be the day of initiation for the converts to the faith. That after having been through the catechism throughout Lent, they would officially become members of the body of Christ through profession of faith. The Easter vigil that would happen the night before Easter and would go all through the night would be the reminder of the story of how we got to Easter. Of our story as a people of faith, of our journey with God throughout time. And then at sunrise, which is why we also have sunrise services today, they would celebrate baptism. And part of that was a disrobing. It was a setting aside of your old clothes. It was a setting aside of what was your past. And in a way, you were laying yourself bare before God in your full humanity. It was a shedding of that past as you walked into the waters of baptism and as you were cleansed and walked into new life on the other side. 
And then as you walked out of the water, those new church family members of yours would be waiting with clean white clothing for you as a sign of new life in Christ. And then, since this is way back in the day when white wasn't quite as often, because white was hard to keep clean, you would go out into the streets and it would be this joyous occasion where wearing white would be a sign of your new conversion to the faith. And it would be a part of the Easter celebration. In fact, one of the most important parts of the Easter celebration. And it's because on Easter, it's all about things being made new. Through the last week, we've walked from the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, through the Passover celebration that Jesus shared with his disciples, and the instituting of the Holy Communion meal, to Jesus' arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. And we then, beginning Friday, walked through the darkness of the last few days, sitting in our mourning and asking, where is our hope, and who are we without Christ? Now, this last piece is especially important. Who are we without Christ? Where's our hope when Christ is dead? That piece about Christ being dead is really important because it reminds us that Christ was in fact alive. That Christ walked as one of us on the earth. That Jesus, fully human and yet in some holy mystery, fully divine, walks on the earth just like us. He attends. I'm sure he fell down when he was a toddler and scraped his knee. I'm sure he cried. I'm sure he experienced all the range of emotions that we felt. Can you imagine what teenage Jesus would have been like? Jesus was alive. And then he died. He died a death he didn't deserve, suffering greatly at the hands of humanity. And he did it willingly. This is probably the most important part of the story, actually. Because while we are a resurrection people, Death made room for Christ's resurrection. In the same way, death to the old self in us makes room for our own resurrection in new life. Jesus died. But Jesus rose again. There cannot be resurrection without death. And so, understand this, Jesus was dead. On that early morning, when the Mary Magdalene went out to the tomb, emerging from the darkness of the Sabbath day, the first light of dawn, when she could go about the work again of preparing her body, and she rushes to the tomb. Maybe it's because she couldn't wait any longer. Maybe her grief was so overwhelming, so deep, that she just longed to be near him and only his body for only the few moments of preparing his body for final burial. And then she arrives 
And what does she see? The stone, the giant stone, this massive stone has been rolled away. And she begins to think, oh no. Clearly, I am the first one to get here. It's been the Sabbath. None of us could have made it here before me. Who has opened the tomb? Oh no. What have they done with my Lord? Please tell me they haven't also taken his body. They've already taken so much from us. And as she looks in the tomb and sees it empty, she begins to weep as a numbing grief sweeps over her. That she's so grief-stricken that the text tells us that she doesn't see the two angels that are sitting in the tomb and start talking to her. But sit with that for a second. When was the last time you walked in any space and there were two angels sitting there and you just were like, oh, you're just normal. This is just normal. Every day I see angels sitting in a tomb. Mary didn't notice the angels because she was lost in her grief. And she couldn't see the miracle that was sitting right in front of her. And then she turns and she sees this man and assumes he's the gardener. Because who else could he be? Obviously must be the gardener. And then he says, and I imagine it like this, goes, Mary. Soft, quiet voice. A voice, almost a whisper, but one that also compels her to look up and notice. And in that moment, the scales of her grief fall from her eyes, and she is awakened to the risen Christ. In that moment, she's transformed as she understands for the first time the power of resurrection. She's changed because resurrection is something that fundamentally changes us. Resurrection brings us new life and new hope, and with that comes new perspective and new direction. What has been the challenges of the, and the sorrows of the last few days give way to the Easter joy. That same joy that continues to bring us into this place, seeking that same transformation. It's not that resurrection erased the past. She could not forget the events of Good Friday, but in a sense, it helps us to see and live in a new way. It transforms us like those early Christians emerging from the baptismal waters as a new creation in Christ. And that allows us to let go of that past and to move into a future filled with new possibilities. It's not that the past is gone. Not that our pain just immediately goes away, but in Christ we find a way to let it go. I imagine it like this. I uh, wear contacts, and I remember the very first time I ever put glasses on. I was in sixth grade, and I had been complaining about headaches, and my teacher had noticed that I had been squinting a lot. And so my mom took me to the eye doctor. Sure enough, I needed glasses. And I remember on the drive home from the doctor's office with those glasses on my face, 
and I started looking at things. I was like, oh my gosh, look at all the detail. Holy cow, I had no idea. I remember, and I kid you not, I picked up a leaf off the ground. And I was like, wow, look at the veins on this leaf. I couldn't see this before. Now, for those of you who have never worn corrective lenses, let me offer you a slightly different analogy, but in the same way. It's as if you had sunglasses on and you walked into a darkened space. What can you see? And then you take them off and suddenly your eyes adjust to light and you can see things. That is resurrection. It's that moment of being awoken to everything that is before you to the goodness of God that is before you, to seeing the joy of the world around you. It is being awoken and being able to say, Rabboni, because I can truly see now. That was Mary too. Resurrection transforms us into believers in the unbelievable, in the ridiculous, the ludicrous, even. Things like, suddenly death is now a question. We like to say there are two things in life that are certain, death and taxes. But here Jesus proves that even death is not a certainty. Because with God, all things are possible. And what's even better about this transformation is it's not a force transformation. God is enforcing us to change, but instead is inviting us to run to and embrace this change. To be like Mary when she realizes who Jesus is and she runs to grab a hold of it. It's a transformation that seeks to change our life in an inviting and an open way. The resurrection that teaches us that the tomb is empty. And it's going to stay that Because Jesus is alive forevermore. This good news of resurrection is why we're here today. It's why this whole faith thing exists. Jesus had simply died and been another nice guy, well, we would have taken some really great teachings from him. But what makes Jesus different is that he rose again. Jesus was more than just a good teacher. Jesus was God, stepping down from heaven to say, I love each and every one of you. gives us hope. Resurrection is hope. It gives us something to hold on to. Pope Francis said today in his annual Easter message that it is a sign in the midst of so many calamities, a sense of looking beyond, of saying don't look to a wall. There is a horizon and there is a life and there is joy. What Pope Francis is saying is that we may have obstacles in our way. 
We may walk and see injustice and oppression and violence and war and strife and racism and sexism and isms and phobias of all kinds, but we cannot let those things stand in our way. Because beyond those things, God is building God's holy kingdom. A kingdom that we're invited to reflect and live into right here and right now. And then the ultimate good news is that God's love and God's goodness always wins out. Not that the the road will always be smooth because there will surely be bumps in the path, but God's way, God's love, God's righteousness, God's gracious goodness will be triumphant. Because the resurrected Christ is in us. Because we are made new in Christ. Now and forever. Our hope for a better world and a better future. Because in Christ, we can believe in the impossibility of arriving at the tomb in despair. And only finding our renewed hope. Amen. Thank you.